Assalamu alaikum, this is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you're listening to the newest Heartwork series, Finding Meaning in Trial. In this series, we'll be exploring an upcoming publication that I'm working on, translating and commenting on the beautiful short text of Al-Iz bin Abdussalam called The Benefits of Trials. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the meanings and some of the benefits of trials in our lives as given to us by Al-Iz bin Abdussalam. He gives us some of the good things that we seek in life that can only come from the bad moments that we experience in life. I look forward to joining you on this series, inshallah, and having you with us. And as always, if you benefit from our work, please consider donating and becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.org slash sustain. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Bismillah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to see you, alhamdulillah. Um, I want everyone to know that I was at Umrah, alhamdulillah. Assalamualaikum. I was at Umrah last, uh, yeah, Abbas, I saw you in the airport. Uh, I was at Umrah last week, and um, I did, I made dua for everybody here during my last tawaf. Um, I asked Allah to bless, you know, and to give khair and to take care of and give protection to everybody who comes to heart work or listens to heart work or watches heart work. Uh, so if anything good happens in your life, <laughs> from now you know who to thank. Uh, you know, Allah and then me after that for remembering you. No, but alhamdulillah was an amazing experience. And again, I want to you know, reiterate, I know we talked about this a few, um, maybe a couple months ago now, about the importance of making an intention to go to Umrah. Uh, I think this group had, the group, so we had like 150 people with us. Myself, Sheikh Ahmed Billu, and Ustaz uh, Safi. And I think that there were, I want to say like 50 of them were first-timers. So 50 people for the first time made Umrah with us. And of course, there was a, lo a lot of nerves, a lot of anxiety, um, even for those who weren't first-timers. But everybody came out feeling extremely, subhanAllah, you know, moved and connected and just absolutely uh, in love with the experience and, you know, already thinking about when can I, you know, when can I try to plan to come again? So I want everyone in this room, in this gathering, inshallah, to make your intention, to make your niyyah that if Allah Ta'ala invites you, that you'll go to visit his house and to visit the city of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's kind of one of those things where you say seeing is believing. You can't really describe it as much as you can go visit. But I will say that it's one of the most beautiful experiences. Uh, seeing the ummah, uh, you know, seeing people from all across the world, different ages, different ethnicities, backgrounds, and seeing everyone come together to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala despite not being able to speak to each other, not knowing your, each other's language. Uh, it's really, subhanAllah, it's, it's something uh, remarkable. You can go to as many lectures as you want, but really when you go visit the house of Allah, it's, it's a different experience. So we ask Allah ta'ala to invite all of us, um, inshallah. Okay. So uh, we, we've been off now, um, we, we had a week off, so we haven't had a session for a couple weeks, but the last time we were here, we had our, our distinguished guest, uh, Sami Hamdi with us, mashallah, who really highlighted the importance of patience, and especially with regards to his area of expertise, which is obviously international relations and geopolitical conflict, and he focused a lot, of course, on the 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 the, the the assault in Gaza right now, may Allah Ta'ala make it easy and give them victory, Ya Rabb. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit and I wanted to share with everybody some of the different quotes and some of the different methodologies of patience. Because how many of you have ever been tested in life before and somebody told you, somebody told you just be patient, right? You guys ever heard that before? Something's going wrong, it's not going the way that you want it to. And the response you got from somebody was be patient. And how many of you, don't raise your hand, but be honest, how many of you, when someone said to you, be patient, you said, shut up, <laughs> right? Because naturally, right, that's a very, uh, it's, it's a natural response. You know, if somebody tells you be patient, then your response is, you know, irritation. You know, how are you going to tell me to be patient? And by the way, this happened in the life of the Prophet, that one time he was he saw a woman who was grieving and he came and he tried to offer her, you know, condolences and advice and she felt she was upset. She said, Ilayka anni, get away from me. She didn't know who she was talking to, right? She, she said it 
without seeing, without looking first. And she said that you've never been tested like I've been tested because she had lost one of her family members. So the point being is that the Prophet ﷺ did not condemn her. He did not, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, he did not uh, punish her criminally. Such a thing because why? It's human that when a person is going through trial and and and, and tribulation. <laughs> And they're being reminded to be patient. It's human for a person to have frustration. That's natural. So you should not become upset with yourself. You should also not become upset with other people. If other people become frustrated in a, in a moment of tribulation, the right response is to have compassion for them and to have grace with them and with their actions. You know, this is why the famous narration uh, that's attributed to the Prophet, but it's, it's most likely something that Omar, he said, where he said that you should give an excuse for your brother or sister up to 70 excuses because you don't know what they're going through. And ultimately, the best response you can have for any moment of trial is to give somebody excuses. Why are they, why are they behaving this way? Why are they acting this way? What, what must they be going through that I don't know about? And wallahi, more often than not, when somebody is behaving a certain type of way and it's kind of off-putting and it's challenging, you'll find out you know, sooner or later that they were going through something very, very difficult. And it's very important for you to hold your tongue and to not say or think things because you don't want to, you don't want to regret that later when you come to realize what was actually happening, subhanAllah, in their life. But patience, nonetheless, is a methodology. And there is a science behind it. When somebody says be patient, they're, they're, they're obviously asking you to, to, to do something, but they're almost asking you to arrive at the destination. But I think what we all need to work on is how do we get there? Like you're telling me to be patient. And if I could, I would. The problem is I can't. <laughs> so I need you to guide me with regards to how can I take myself from a state of no patience to a state of patience? How can I fix that within me? So the first thing that he mentions here in the book, is he says that patience in the, in the face of an affliction is the definition of it is to be patient in the moment of trial. So a person, when they're patient, everybody can be patient much, much later. You know, six weeks after, you can be patient. You know, six months later, you can be patient. But truly exhibiting patience is to withhold yourself and to refrain in the moment of. That's real strength. That's real strength. And the scholars, when they defined sabr, when they defined patience and perseverance, Part of their definition, we talked about this last time with Sammy, was strength and courage. The ability to withstand, the ability to hold, hold tight and to trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? Another scholar said that patience is a sign of intelligence. And we'll talk about how all this applies. But a person who's intelligent, it's actually easier for them to be patient. And a person who lacks patience, it might be an indication that they themselves are not all that intelligent. And that's why you see people who are wise, who have wisdom, they tend to be able to show patience a lot better and a lot more than people who are very rash and quick decision makers. So let's read a little bit of what this benefit is. Number one, he says, the, the, the main reason why everyone should be patient is because when you exhibit patience, you have now entered into the company of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's nothing that a person could use or need more than company during an affliction. We all have been there. Like when, you, when, when something's going wrong, you don't want to be alone. Maybe part of you doesn't want to be around people, but when something is really going wrong, you want to be able to know that you can rely on somebody. You want to know that you can call somebody, that somebody will be there with you. Maybe they'll even go wherever you have to go together with you because you're nervous, you're upset, you're maybe a little bit concerned. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, He gives us a very short statement, a very sm small phrase, but one that tells you that you can actually have Allah as your companion in those moments. Like you could call your friends and family and that's fine. But you could also have Allah there with you. What does Allah ta'ala say? He says, And then He also says, Allah ta'ala is with those who are patient. So Allah loves those who are patient. And Allah is with those who are patient. What do we know by this? We know that if a person is not able to show patience or persevere in a moment, that they are missing out on the love of Allah. 
that they are, they are actually excluding themselves from the love of Allah, and they're also pushing themselves away from the invitation of Allah. Allah is essentially telling everybody, hey, in a moment of difficulty, if you can hold it together, if you can trust and be courageous and keep your intelligence about you, you know, they say keep your wits about you, right? You can keep your intelligence intact, then you will have guaranteed that Allah's love will descend upon you and that what? Allah Ta'ala will be with you. I want you to think about this. Obviously, it's hard with Allah, but think about other examples. You know, I remember when my kids first got their shots at the doctor. You know, it's interesting. The shot itself didn't even really hurt. They were getting like a random uh, uh, immunization. It didn't even hurt. But the anticipation of it, you know, they're like looking at me and they're crying and they're looking away and the doctor's getting everything ready. And what do they want more than anything? Like I could sit there and tell them like, you know what? You're making a big deal out of this. Why are you crying so much? Why are you doing this? You could try to rationalize, right? It's not going to work. First of all, the kid's two years old. So they're not going to be able to understand your rational argument. But even people who are older, sometimes rationalizing doesn't work. So what do they want? What helps them? What calms them? What calms them is when they can hold Baba's hand or Mama's hand, right? Or sometimes what a doctor will do when they're doing an exam on a kid and the kid is really anxious and nervous and they're not able to be patient, they'll say, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, can you hold the kid in your lap? Why? Because when the child is placed in the lap of the parent, the child knows what? I'm in the lap of someone who loves me. And I'm, being, I'm, I'm in the companionship of someone that I trust. So now, Allah's example is much greater. When you're able to remind yourself that if I can do this right, I will be in the companionship of Allah and He loves me, then what happens naturally to the, to the response of the person's heart? The heart rate starts to settle a little bit. The anxiety starts to dip down a little bit. All of these things start to normalize. Because why? You realize that you're not alone. Okay? Another thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He says, إِنَّمَا يُوَفَّ الصَّابِرُونَ أَجْرَهُمْ بِغَيْرِ حِسَاب That Allah says that in, in, in Islam, we know that there are certain rewards for certain things. Right? If a person, for example, does this, they get seven times a reward, or they get 50 times a reward, or 100 times a, You guys have heard these numbers before? If you pray in congregation, for example, you get up to or at least 70 times more reward and even greater. When Allah in the Quran, or when the Prophet says that your reward will be unmeasured, what it means is that there is so much reward, you can't even count it. It's not registerable on, a, on like a device. You can't even register it, right? Like when you type in too many zeros on your calculator, a little high school nostalgic trauma. You type in too many zeros and it gives you what? It's like some error pops up because the calculator can't compute that amount of number. So Allah is saying that those who display patience, that they will be given the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with no account, meaning they'll show up on the day of judgment and everyone else is going to kind of have a general idea of how many good deeds they got because of how many things they did. But the patient person will show up and they will be upgraded with no reaction, no understanding of how this happened beyond what I bared patiently. I bore patiently with whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put me through. So in order for a person to realize why patience is so important, you have to realize what's at stake. Right? What is there for you to gain from this patience? The Prophet ﷺ, he said in the hadith that there is no gift that Allah can give a person in their entire life. No provision, no status, no relationship, nothing. There is no gift that is better and more encompassing than patience. If a person has patience, they will be able to handle anything that comes in their path, that happens to them. They'll be able to deal with anything whatsoever. So all of these are examples of the rewards of patience. Now, we have some statements from some very important people that give us some perspective on this sabr. What does it mean to have sabr? And I know I've been saying the word patience, but if, I, if I'm going to be really honest with you, it's not just patience, right? Patience, when we say it in the English language, it means to like deal with something 
and to deal with it in a, in a stationary way. And if I say be patient, typically what people mentally think of is just stay there. Be patient. Just wait. But sabr in Arabic doesn't just mean to wait. It means actually to move forward. To continue going despite the difficulty. So if it's raining outside, you have two choices. You can either wait until the rain stops. Or you can just say, you know what? I have to get to my car. I have to go home. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go. And in the process, you're going to get what? You're going to get wet. Like the rain's going to hit you. And maybe the clothes that you're wearing might get wet. Maybe the shoes that you have might get. But that's the, that's the, 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 the price that you pay for being a person that has to go somewhere. But patience is what got you to your destination. Sabr is what got you there, persevering despite that. So some of these companions, and these people lived incredible lives of patience. We're not talking about people who are like millionaires. I always love it, by the way, when I go on like Instagram or any of these social media platforms, and you have all these really, really like successful people that were born into like trust funds or you know, they were given like massive amounts of money and they talk about how they're like self-made. You know, you have to hustle like me. Yeah, part of the reason why you can hustle is because you have a butler, right? Because you don't have to do your laundry. Because you get breakfast delivered to your dining table, right? That's why you can hustle. But really, in reality, patience, these people, when we talk about Ali ibn Abi Talib, when we talk about Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, Umar ibn Khattab, these people lived in trials. So if you want anyone to tell you about patience... Really, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an Arabic saying that says, ask the one who has gone through it, not the wise person. Because the wise person doesn't necessarily have to have lived experience. But the one who's gone through it, man, they can write a book. And they can tell you. Just because they haven't necessarily put it out there doesn't mean they don't know. But the one who has gone through it, which is why one of the greatest treasures that anybody in this room can have is to have conversations with elders. Somebody who's older than you. And to ask them questions and to listen. To ask them questions and to, and to hear their response. You know, sometimes, and this is one of the, the, the big challenges of our era, is that, mashallah, everyone here has you know, your iPhones. If you have an Android, may Allah forgive you for causing so much stress upon us. The green bubble monsters, right? Get rid of it. Bismillah, right? Join the club. So we all have our, you know, everyone's got their, their high-tech devices. Everyone has, mashallah, their, their smart homes and their Google homes and Alexa and everything. Right? We have a life of technological advancement. People are doing doctor's appointments over webcam, conference call, teleconferencing calls. You know, people work, quote-unquote, work remotely. These are things that, again... In modern times, they were only made possible in the last, like, decade. So you're talking about 40 years ago, 100 years ago, 500 years ago. A lot of these ideas and concepts couldn't even be imagined, right? So, mashallah, we are the beneficiaries of this incredible technological leap, okay? And, and I will tell you, it is a blessing from Allah because many people in this room you're benefited by the fact that we have technology. Yes or no? Of course, right? You got here tonight using your GPS. You ordered your food using DoorDash or Grubhub. You do all this stuff using technology. But never forget that whatever you receive, something else must go. Because you are finite. You only have a limited amount of space. So whatever you receive, something else must go. You want me to give you an example? Okay. How many of you can remember or had to remember a phone number in your life before you had a smartphone. Can you remember that number now? Like your oldest home phone number? Okay, yes? Good, right? Okay, how many of you have a family member that you are embarrassed to say you don't have their phone number memorized now? Why? Well, it's because, I'll tell you why, those two things are interesting. You clearly have the ability to memorize because you have that old number memorized, whatever it is, okay? But this now, this new number, you don't have it memorized. Why? Because with the advent of technology in your life, you lost the ability of memory. Whereas before, memorizing used to be a lot easier. But now if you try to memorize, subhanAllah, it gets harder and harder because your body subconsciously or consciously has developed 
a reliance upon technology. Okay? So the lesson in all of this is what? Do not let technological advancements make you think that you are smarter. They may have made your life easier. They may have given you access, but you are not necessarily wiser or smarter than people that don't know how to use a phone. All these TikToks that talk about, oh, my mom needs me to help her set up her email. And it's like some kid who's like closes his crypto portfolio. Come on, mom. The, sh the bulls are in. The sharks are buying. I don't know what all this stuff means, right? And the TikTok is like mocking and ridiculing, right? And, and, and this person, because she doesn't know how to set up an email, but you can't even pour a bowl of cereal without a recipe. Like there's a serious gap here. So as Muslims... And this is why the Prophet said, Laysa minna, this person is not from amongst us who does not show respect to our elders and who does not show mercy to our young. Right? We are not a people that disregards elders because they're useless. No, no, no. There's no such thing as a useless person. If somebody's older than you, they have more good deeds. If somebody's younger, they have less sins. That's how we see everybody. So one of the ways that you can learn about patience is you can simply ask people for their stories. You can ask your parents, like, what was it like? And I know you're going to get the whole, like, walked uphill to school both ways. Some of it is a little bit revisionist, right? A little bit. It was snowing in Egypt, really? Okay. But the point is, there's always something good to take from there. There's always something good to take from people to ask them and to listen to their stories. So let's listen to the stories of these people, these Sahaba, these people who lived with the Prophet One of the stories is uh, Sa'id ibn Abi Waqqas. And he says that, it should be Sa'ad, but it says Sa'id here in the book. Qala, he says, we were with the Prophet He says, Kunna qawman yusibuna we live with the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca, Rasulullah, in a very difficult time. We lived in a very, very difficult time. Like basically, he's starting this story by saying, We were from the most difficult group, like those who had to really live through the, 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 the trenches with the Prophet. ﷺ. And he says, When a trial fell upon us, we acknowledged them. And we endured and we bore patiently with them for the sake of Allah. And he remembers, he says, I remember one trial in particular. He says, I was walking outside one night on a night that was very cold. And this is, uh, you know, um, this is possible. Like in, in the wintertime in, in, in Mecca, it can get cold. So he goes, I was walking one night and it was very cold. And it was during the boycott in which nobody would sell anything. I want you to understand this. If you were Muslim in Mecca and you were following the Prophet ﷺ, you could be a millionaire and no one would sell you food. It had nothing to do with wealth. By the very nature of the fact that you were Muslim, everyone turned against you. Everyone turned against you. And so some of these people had money. Some of these people had the ability to buy food. But the people who were in control of the market, because they found out that these people were believers in the Prophet Sallallahu message, they said, we're not selling to you. Your money's no good here. So because of that, naturally, and this went on not just for days, not for months. This went on for years. And, not, and, and it was so difficult, subhanAllah, that these people literally would pass away. They would pass out. They would even die from these conditions. And so he's telling the story of during that time. He says, one night I went out and I was walking in the night and I heard this sound beneath my foot. You know, you'll be walking on something like a path or concrete, or in this case, you're walking on sand or clay. And all of a sudden the sound changes. So it went from being what you expect to something different. He goes, I look down. And I grabbed whatever was beneath my foot and I took it home. I washed it with some water. I placed it over fire. I took it between two stones and I crushed it up. And then I poured water over it and I made a soup out of it. And I, I ate it 
for three meals. And he goes, and I realized at that moment what I was eating was the skin of a camel. That's what I ate. Right? And he's sharing the story not because he's trying to make a, you know, a scene. He's sharing the story because he was trying to illustrate, especially to those younger companions and those people who didn't live through this time, what the situation was in Mecca. Because why? Medina, as difficult as it was at times, was never like this. Medina was never, ever like this. I mean, you had a couple moments where it was very difficult, like in Khandaq and others, but it was never as bad as Mecca. And so it's very helpful for people in situations of privilege. And I know that everyone here has, has life challenges and problems, but relative to the world, we are privileged. And I can prove that to you because we're sitting in a room that has air conditioning and has power and has running water. And if you travel the world, you will realize very quickly that the things that you expect to be normal are in fact very much not normal. So everyone in this, despite whatever problems we have, sicknesses, family situations, financial issues, I agree, there are problems. But if you weighed them on the scale of the world's problems, I don't even know if the scale would register. And it's important to hear that because sometimes when you're in your own bubble of trial of your own life, you forget how blessed you are. And so this story from Sa'ib bin Abi Waqqas is a very important story to get us started with that. Another story of Ali radiallahu an, or another statement that he said, is he says that patience is essential to faith. And this makes sense because those people in Mecca, their faith was certified. None of them were hypocrites. None of them were fake believers. They were all true believers. So Ali radiallahu an, he says patience is essential to faith. And he said, just like the body has a head, he goes, faith has patience. So he's saying here, patience is like the head of the entire body of faith. He says, when a person loses their patience, it shows that they have no faith. Why is this the case? Because when a person displays patience, part of that is that they trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How is it the case that these people were able to bear through the boycott with the Prophet ﷺ and not just leave Islam and run away? How is it the case that they were able to deal with it like that? Because they understood the promise of Allah. And they didn't know when, but they knew that it was for sure. They knew that it was certain. And so Ali radiallahu an, he says this. Another statement. And this is interesting. How many of you have ever been told to like never complain? Don't complain. You're like, yeah, we were just told that by you right now, literally, right? Okay, so Ammar bin Yasser. Who's Ammar bin Yasser, man? Ammar bin Yasser, subhanAllah. Talk about real problems. His mother and father were Yasser and Sumayyah. They were the first two people who were killed because they said that we believe in Allah. They were the first two people from the Ummah of the Prophet who were killed. They were martyrs because they said that we believe, and they were tortured to death. It wasn't just like, uh, execution. It was a slow, painful torture. And Ammar was a young man at this time. And Ammar was somebody who saw with his own eyes his mother and father get killed. And he lived through the torture that the Muslims went through in Mecca. And he escaped to Medina. And he arrived at Kuba, which is just outside of Medina. And because he had Nobody, no family, no friends. What did he do? Subhanallah. He started to build a masjid in Kuba. Because he said that if I don't have family, I can at least have community. And so he started to construct this masjid. So there's a man named Hilal bin Yasaf. And he says that one time we were sitting with Ammar bin Yasir. So I want you to imagine sitting with someone who's lived a life of difficulty. And what does this guy say? He says that, and we were talking about trials. We were talking about difficulties and trials. And a Bedouin man, oh man, here comes the Bedouin, probably from Denton, <laughs> arrived. And the Bedouin, you know, the one thing about the Bedouin, subhanAllah, there's a good and there's a bad, right? The Bedouin sometimes will, they'll say things that everyone's kind of like, you know, thinking, but they don't want to say it because they don't want to embarrass themselves. But a lot of times they're also very unrefined in some ways. Like they have some wisdom of the desert, but they don't have like this deep thought process. 
And so this guy is sitting with Ammar bin Yasser, okay? And everyone knows his story. Everyone knows about his parents. Everyone knows. And the Bedouin says, yeah, nothing in life is really worth complaining about if you think about it. Because the Bedouin is also used to very difficult life. The Bedouin has to live in the desert. There's no guarantee. Food and water. They're nomadic, right? So he kind of understands difficulty. But he doesn't understand seeing your parents get killed. He doesn't understand having to migrate by yourself as a child or a young man. He doesn't understand this. So this Bedouin man says, yeah, I've never really complained about life. Like, life is good. You know, basically just like a chill, chill guy. And Ammar says to him, ma anta minna. He says, you're not, you're not from amongst us then. He says, you've never had to deal with what we've had to deal with. And he's teaching this guy a lesson. And he says, the Muslim, when they are tested with something, he says, they, no, he says the Muslim is tested with trials. So he says this as a statement of fact. He doesn't say when. He says they are. So Ammar bin Yasser is saying a statement now, and he's speaking from his own personal experience. A Muslim is tested with trials. And he goes, but the trials are not purposeless. They're not pointless. Because sometimes shaitan comes up to you when you're going through a trial and says, why is Allah doing this? What's the, wh what is the reason? Why is this happening? And shaitan is trying to, you know the thread that you have? You know they say never pull a thread, right? Shaitan's trying to pull on that thread. Instead of you just cutting it, shaitan wants to pull, pull, pull because he knows that if you pull the thread, that first question you had, if you didn't answer it with wisdom, it's going to become a hundred more questions and each question is going to become a little bit less reasonable and a little bit more dangerous than the last one, right? And so Ammar says straight up, we are all tested. This is part of what it means to be Muslim. If you are Muslim, you have to know this. You're going to be tested in life. Allah promises this in the Quran. It is a reality. But he says one of the purposes, and this is what Ammar took as his own wisdom, is that when you are tested, your sins are removed. Just like leaves fall from a tree. Go outside and look at all the leaves on the ground. And I want you to imagine that you are that tree. That's your heart. And all of the leaves that fall off of that, even though we see that as a sign of, 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 of barrenness and death, for us as a believer, we see that. and We see all the sins falling down from the tree. And we say, subhanAllah, all those leaves are like sins from my heart. Every time leaves fall. He says, when a disbeliever is tested, right? So the believer feels good about that. Like, okay, at least... I'm walking out of here knowing that I'm less carrying of sins than I was when I walked into the test. He says, when a disbeliever is tested, their example is like an animal that is let loose but doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know how to handle it. This happens all the time to me, man. My cats. Anyone want cats? Um, my cats meow at the back door. I open the back door and then they just stare. <laughs> Meanwhile, letting this freezing air come in. Or in the summer, it's like 120 degree oven come in. I'm like, you were meowing, Habibi, just leave. And they just stare. And then I close it and they meow again. And this is, this is like what he's saying. He says, the disbeliever, when they're tested, they're let loose and they don't know what to do. They don't know why. They don't know how to, how to appreciate it, right? And so the donkey is let loose. The camel is let loose. And the owner is like, go. And they're standing there like, why? What just happened, right? This, this is a, a parable that Ahmad is giving, saying that the believer at their core trusts that there is a purpose and a reason to the test that they are going through, that it's happening to them. Ibn Mas'ud, he said, none of you should say that I seek refuge in Allah from trials. That's interesting. Why? Why do you guys think that Ibn Mas'ud said this? Don't ever say, oh Allah, don't test me. Why do you think? Okay, you're losing out on the benefits. You're not being able to wash your sins. What else? Why else would you, would you not say that? Yeah. Yeah, it's like you're asking Allah not to do something that he told you is, a is the nature of your existence. Right? You're asking Allah, oh Allah, don't do this to me, but that's, the, that's what Allah already told you. It's the nature of your existence. You're going to be tested. So don't set yourself up for, for disappointment by something that's already been guaranteed. It's already part of your creation. But he said, rather, instead of saying, oh Allah, don't, don't test me, he said, oh Allah, protect me Min fitan. Protect me from the test misguiding me. Allow me to pass the test. Because one of the purposes of tests 
is to sharpen your guidance, is to make your guidance even stronger, to make your attachment to Allah even stronger. And we'll talk about how to get there, inshallah. Okay? So let's talk about this for a second. Well, there's one narration that I'll share with you before we talk about how to develop patience. Abu Dhar, who's a companion of the Prophet, he narrated that the Prophet said that Allah himself said, he was speaking to uh, Isa, Prophet Jesus. And he said to Prophet Jesus, like in a, in a way that was bragging, boasting, right? I will raise a nation after you that will praise me. Okay, count the steps. Praise me, be grateful to me, and they will be happy when I bestow upon them what they love. And they will expect reward and bear patiently when I afflict them with what they hate. So then Isa, salam, he says, Oh Allah, how will they be able to do this? How will they be able to be patient when you put them through what they hate? This is an important statement, by the way. Because part of what we understand about patience is that it's not going to be easy. If you want to think about the things that really rattle you the most, they are the things that you hate the most. They are the things that push you, that test you. Some people, subhanAllah, they can deal with things that you deal with very easily, right? Because I've met a person who can just handle that. There are people that can deal with what you can deal with very easily. And then there are people that, subhanAllah, like the tests that you can handle, man, it just like claws at them. So Isa is saying, Ya Allah, how are they going to be able to deal with things? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they will have forbearance. And then Isa says, how? And Allah says, because for those who are patient, I will give them my forbearance. I will give them that gift of my forbearance. So now let's go to how, and it says how to develop patience. Number one, he quotes a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, in which the Prophet ﷺ says, that if one of you, إِذَا أَصَابَ أَحَدُكُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ If one of you is tested, the first thing you need to do is what? He says, فَلْيَذْكُرْ مُصِيبَتِي Learn about my trials. The Prophet ﷺ said, the first thing you do when you're tested is what? Learn his life. Learn his seerah. Why? Because he says, my life was inclusive of the greatest trials that a person can go through. You know, the Prophet ﷺ, one of the challenges the Quraysh made to him was that why didn't God send an angel? Why did God send a human being? If he sent an angel, it would have been undeniable, right? If Jibreel came down to every person and said, believe in Allah, here's the Quran, this and this, right? It would have been undeniable, correct? Can you imagine? With his wings spanning the horizon, coming down to you with revelation from Allah. And by the way, Allah could have done that. Allah could have sent down an angel to each and every person and given them their own mushaf and said, here, this is the word of Allah. Follow it. And that person would have been awestruck, right? Yes or no? People here are trying to act like they wouldn't have been awestruck. You'd have, you would have lost your wudu so fast. <laughs> you, would have been, you would have lost it. And you know what? It's a good argument. It's a really good argument. The Quraysh are saying this. So have you guys, have you guys ever thought about that? Why did Allah not send, and I'm going to use this very carefully because obviously to us, this is not a problem. Why did Allah not send an objectively undeniable messenger? Allah could have sent an undeniable messenger. Someone with a clear manifest proof that needed no da'wah, no invitation, a miracle to every person. And then everyone would have had to have believed. It would have solved that whole problem, right? But why didn't he? He didn't because, as Allah mentions and as the tafsir mentions and as the scholars of hadith and others mention, they say that if Allah had sent an angel, then how would you have related to the angel? When you were being tested in life or going through a difficulty, the angel's never been through a test. The angel's never gone through difficulty. But the Prophet ﷺ, his life was literally difficulty upon difficulty. Before he was even born, his father passed away. And then his mother passes away as a young child. And then his grandfather takes him in and passes away. His uncle takes him in and later in life, after he's given wahi, his uncle passes away, his wife passes away at the first year of his message. He loses everybody. 
And he has to go through this entire moment. This is why Surah Al-Duha is so powerful. Allah Ta'ala is promising by the, the brightness of the sun and when it's at its peak and the stillness of the night that what? Allah Ta'ala is not upset with you because the first question you have when you're being tested is what? Does Allah hate me? Why is Allah doing this to me? What did I do wrong? And maybe you don't say it to yourself but maybe it's like the auntie says it to you. What sin did you commit, Beta? Right? We're laughing because it's true. You know, a person's tested, subhanAllah, and somebody says to them, man, you must have made Allah really upset. Allah Ta'ala tells the Prophet ﷺ in Surah Al-Duha, أَلَمْ يَجِدِكَ يَتِيمًا fa'awa." Were you not an orphan? Were you not an orphan? You were by yourself. You were alone. The Prophet ﷺ had nobody. And some scholars, you know, they're so profound when they ask these questions. Why would Allah do this? This is admittedly Allah's most beloved human being. Could you ever imagine to the person you love the most stripping away all of their family from them? Could you ever imagine that? I mean, we're seeing bombs dropping on Gaza right now. And some of these people... They're saying, if God really loved you, why would he be doing this to you? Which is an interesting question because you're blaming human evil and human inability to control in these, these warlike uh, impulses on God. Allah gave you free will and people are abusing it. Don't blame Allah. But they're saying, if God was really on your side then why would this be happening to you? But they don't know that Muslims and even the ones that they're killing were taught from day one that Allah Ta'ala tested His most beloved. So the sign of being tested is not a sign of anger. Allah Ta'ala says, مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلَى You're not abandoned and nor is Allah displeased with you. Don't you remember when you were an orphan and we gave you shelter? وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهَدَى and you were living your life in a state of, you weren't sure what was the purpose of your existence. You were going up to the cave of Hira and thinking and meditating and trying to think about what was going on. And Allah Ta'ala sent down guidance. And you were in a state of need and we enriched you. Some people say that this is the Prophet ﷺ marrying Khadija anha because she was uh, a, a huge financial support for him. Some people say that this is just the Prophet ﷺ receiving prophethood. That this enriched him beyond any wealth that the earth could have offered him. So when you read the life of the Prophet ﷺ, you are instantly immersed in difficulty. And no matter what difficulty you go through, Surah Al-Duha reminds you that there's a place for you in his life. There's a place for you. Whether it's you're abandoned, well, guess what? He was abandoned, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Whether it's you're broke, guess what? There was a time when he had nothing, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Whether you feel lost, guess what? There was a time when the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, felt lost. And the promise of each of those verses is that the light will come. The end of the tunnel is there. Whether you're alone, you will be given shelter. If you are lost, you will be given guidance. If you have nothing, you will be enriched. And then Allah Ta'ala tells us what? Subhanallah. فَأَمَّا الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَكَهَرُ وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرُ وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثُ And your job, once you've gone through it, Subhanallah, look at how the Ummah is so beautiful. You know, in this room, there are people that are going through something and there are people that have gone through what those people are going through. There are people that are going through something and there are people who have gone through what those people have gone, are going through. So what does Allah tell the Prophet ﷺ to do? He, does, he says it's not just enough that you've gone through this, but now that you've gone through it, as a person who was yatim, when you meet a yatim, another orphan, you have to take them, you have to hold them close, you have to give them warmth. Just like you needed it, and you needed shelter, give them shelter. And if there's a person that's asking, just like when you were lost, 
they're lost and they're asking, don't repel them. And always proclaim the mercy and the bounty of Allah because why? That gives people hope. And that reminds people that there is something to look forward to, which is part of the substance of patience. When somebody is telling you be patient, they're not telling you be empty. They're saying wait for your substance, wait for you to be fulfilled. It will happen. And you only get this from the life of the Prophet wasallam. The second thing that helps you develop patience. Okay, so number one is you read his life. Number two, you become better at observing. How good are you at observing? You know, one of my teachers, I'll never forget, he gave me this analogy. He says, many of us look at our life like this, covered. Our hands are covered. And he says, you can't see that this is a hand with five fingers because it's so close, you can't see it. He goes, but when you move a little bit further, you become better at observation and you can see exactly what it is. You can tell, you can decode it perfectly. And he says, many of us become frustrated when things are right here because we can't tell what they are. We don't give ourselves enough time or enough ability to decode what it is that's right in front of our very eyes. So the second way that you develop patience is you have to think about, okay, what is happening here? What is happening here? Ibn Atta'illah, he said something very profound. He said, the foolish person wakes up in the morning and says, what will I do today? And the intelligent person wakes up in the morning and says, what will Allah do with me today? Because that person realizes that, look, I'm going to have my own plans. Okay, I want to go to Noodle Wave, but they're closed today. Okay, or I want to go to XYZ Halal Restaurant, but it's Monday or Tuesday or whatever, right? I don't know when they're all closed. If you guys could like start a letter of petition, please, by the way. You make plans, and Allah Ta'ala, He reminds you that you know, sometimes it's a very light thing, like your restaurant's closed. Sometimes it's a very heavy thing. Sometimes it's a very, very heavy thing. And you're unsure how you're going to handle, how you're going to process it. But if you, in that very moment, become better at observing and watching and witnessing, what is Allah doing in your life? You know, a lot of you probably will be shocked at this. But in sixth grade, in my district, I won the district chess championship. I'm basically a genius. <laughs> it was all downhill from there. So, uh, and I remember, I had a really, really good chess teacher. And I remember he said something to me that was more of like a life lesson than it was like a chess lesson. He said, in chess, you're only as good in chess as the amount of moves you can see ahead. You guys understand how chess is? Everyone's like, no. <laughs> he said, in chess, you're only as good at this game as you are the amount of moves you can predict ahead. If you can only predict one move ahead, but your opponent can predict two or three, they're going to beat you every time. And there were some people that could predict accurately like 10, 12, 15 moves ahead. Meaning it hadn't happened yet, but they were able to see it before it happened. It's the same with soccer. If you watch soccer, my kid, my son is like a soccer fiend right now. He's convinced that Ronaldo's Muslim. <laughs> I'm like trying to explain to him like maybe, maybe not. He's like, he said Bismillah before a penalty kick. He's Muslim. I'm like, that's not the Shahada, but we're, we'll get there inshallah. Right? And I think his son wore a kufiya, so he like lost it. So happy, mashallah. We're going for Umrah, inshallah, at some point next year. And he's like, can we go watch him play? And I was like, let's go to the Kaaba first. And then go to Medina second, and then we'll see. But I'm trying to work on intention there. It's kind of tough. <laughs> but I'm trying to explain to him that in soccer, right, the greatest players can see the play happen before it happens. You know, investors can see the growth of a company before it's there. Designers who design homes, interior designers, they can picture in an empty room exactly how it will look like. So... The key to success is being able to what? Being able to see what's not in front of you. In any realm, whether you are you know, in education or law or this and that, your job, your success in your field is contingent upon how much can you see the unseen. If you're good at that, you'll be very good at whatever it is that you do. And it's no different with sabr. 
your ability to see what Allah is leading you to, or potentially what Allah is leading you to, is going to give you so much tranquility in your heart that you cannot, you cannot understand it. Right? And there's a statement here that he says, Ibn Umar. Ibn Umar, he says that verily, a person will seek a decision of Allah and then Allah will choose something different for him. So a person will seek a decision. Basically, the story of your life. You will seek something and Allah will seek something what? Different. Okay, so you want something that doesn't happen. Okay? And he says, Ibn Umar, who is this? The son of Umar bin Khattab, the, one of the best friends of the Prophet So we're talking about somebody who knows what he's talking about here. He says, you will seek something and Allah will give you something different. And he says, and you will become upset with Allah. He goes, the man will become displeased with his generous Lord. And then he says this beautiful line. He says, if only he waited to see the final result, he would become so pleased with what Allah had chosen for him. If only he had waited. You know, and it's kind of one of those things, right? In life, if you speak too soon, you might ruin the moment. If you say something too quickly, you could ruin what happens eventually. You know, if you came home <laughs> and told your family, like, hey, uh, I didn't get groceries, but, and you were about to say, but I'm taking you out to dinner. And then after you said I didn't get groceries, they're like, you're so useless. You're like, okay. And then you're like, but I guess we can go out to dinner. They're like, oh, sorry. Thank you. You're so kind. You're like, I don't know how I feel about this anymore. <laughs> I was trying to be like, you know, surprise everybody, be like the nice sibling, whatever, you know, be the nice. But now you kind of you exposed how you felt. So what does sabr do? Sabr gives you the ability, as you peel back a little bit, it gives you the ability to like, Work on your relationship with Allah. How many of us are really quick to give up on Allah? Like really quick. We can't stick through it. As soon as something goes a different direction, we're out. I didn't want this. Why did Allah always do this to me, man? Instead of what? The real ones, like the really good friends in your life, it could be heading south fast. And they're like, don't worry, it's going to go so good. I, I know it. It's fine. It'll be good. It'll be good, right? And you're like, how? How will it be good? And they're like, it's, it's going to be great. And the doubters are the ones trying to pull you away from it. But the one who is so close, subhanAllah, they never lose conviction in the one that they love. And sabr, when you are able to have sabr, you're proving to Allah that, oh Allah, I have not lost conviction in you. I have not lost it. The one who moves on quickly, they can't claim to be patient. But the one who displays that conviction is the one that has that relationship with Allah. Another thing that patience gives you, and we'll end, we have two more things and then we'll end here inshallah. Another thing that patience gives you, he says, is it cleans you and it cleanses you and it might actually be the key to your salvation. This moment. Abu Hurairah, he says, the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, he said, if I test my servant and they do not complain about me to his friends. It's a big, big statement. This doesn't mean, by the way, that you just complain about Allah. I don't think anyone in here is that foolish to speak about Allah in that way. But what does this mean? It means complaining about the situation. You know you could host somebody for dinner, they come to your house, and they're not complaining about you, but they're like, man, the food was so bad. Man, the, the house was so hot all night. The bathroom smelled weird. They're not saying your name, but what are they saying? They're talking about everything about you. How many of us with life, this is how we talk about Allah? I didn't like the food. Man, this is always like this. Man, this is, I hate this. 
instead of subhanAllah realizing that the thing you're complaining about is quite literally the dua someone else is making for. The thing you're complaining about is quite literally what someone is begging Allah for somewhere in the world. Could even be someone right next to you. It could be someone literally right next to you. And so the Prophet said that Allah said, if I test somebody with something they don't like, and this is Allah saying it, it's going to happen. And he says, but they don't complain about me to their friends. I will release them, Allah Ta'ala says, min usari, from their shackles. I will release them. What does this mean? Whether or not we admit it, none of us want to be so shackled by the dunya that we complain. A person who doesn't complain is someone that's like on a different level. You're sitting there and you know someone's complaining like, man, the food isn't warm. Have you guys ever been like astonished? Who here in this room needs their dinner to be hot? This is like the wrong class. You're like, I'm the one, right? Who here can eat their dinner at any temperature? Okay. The two of you cannot eat dinner together. Because you bother each other. Right? One of you is like, what are you doing? It's cold. The other one's like, what are you doing? I, don't, I can't wait for 13 minutes in the microwave. And you're not destined to be friends. At least not at mealtimes. Okay? But subhanAllah, like, hear me out. The one who complains, the one who complains about this, it's a shackle. It's something there. All of us want to be, in our heart of hearts, a person that doesn't complain. Because why? We've met people that don't complain, and we're like, we're in awe of them. We love them. We're like, dude, what is it about you? You're so special. Nothing bothers you. I look over at you, flights delayed, alhamdulillah. Flights canceled, alhamdulillah. No voucher, alhamdulillah. <laughs> Sleeping on the floor, alhamdulillah. Like, what are you? Is that you, Jibreel? Like, who are you? <laughs> Some people are truly angelic, subhanAllah. They don't complain. Angels don't complain. La ya'asun Allah. They do whatever Allah commands. And we're like, we see that and we're like, wow, subhanAllah. He says, I will release them from their shackles. So it's interesting. The way that you get released from the shackles of being a complainer is don't complain. You will have earned your freedom from captivity. And then he says, I will give him something better than what he had before. I will, re I will replace the thing that he wanted or she wanted to complain about and I will give them a new start with no sins. You will walk away from that moment with no sins. Allah Ta'ala will free you from your sins. Think about what Yaqub said when his sons were repeatedly disappointing him one time after another. He says, What? That I will only complain to Allah. You're allowed to complain. You are allowed to complain, but only complain to Allah. Take it straight to the one who can change your condition. Your friend cannot change your condition. Your family cannot change your condition. Wallahi, they can't. Allah can change your condition in an instant. Kun fayakun. Instantly. And lastly, we'll end with this. You might not be able to find resolution in the trial that you go through. There's a reality to that. Some people, the trial that they bear patiently with is their trial for life or it is the last trial they experience. But this is why belief in the Akhirah is so important. Because we ultimately, we measure everything in this life up against the next life. Everything. And I don't mean this in like a sadistic way, but sometimes the only thing that will get you through your day is Jannah. You think about all the trial and all the difficulty, and the only thing that brings you some sense of peace is knowing that a Jannah exists. And so 
the Prophet ﷺ, he said that on the day of judgment, or sorry, as a man's or woman's life is going in this, in this dunya, and they're heading towards the day of judgment. And the Prophet ﷺ said, إِذَا كَانَ الرَّجُلُ مُقَصِّرًا فِي الْعَمَلِ That Allah, you know, we don't say he realizes because Allah has full knowledge, but Allah has determined or knows that this person basically they're heading towards the finish line of their life and Allah knows that they're not going to make it to Jannah. Like they're just not going to do it. They didn't catch their prayers. They didn't do everything right. They made some mistakes, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but think to yourself, is this me? They don't do everything perfect. They try, but there's a lot of stumbles along the way. And Allah Ta'ala identifies this person and knows this about this person. Then he says, Allah Ta'ala tests this person with something that grieves them. Allah Ta'ala gives them a test that sits with them. Why? So that this person will be completely cleared of all sins. So when they die, they will enter paradise with nothing blocking their way. When a person hears this, no matter what they're going through, this reminder tells them that what you're dealing with is absolutely, I don't want to say worth it, but because it's hard to say that on the front end, but on the back end in, in paradise, it will 100% be worth it. There's the hadith, and I'll end with this hadith, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that there will be a person that will be dipped into the hellfire after living a life of luxury and happiness and joy, whatever they wanted here. They'll be dipped into the hellfire for one moment. They'll be taken out, and they'll be asked a question. They'll ask this person, the angels will say, tell us about your life. And the person, after having lived as a billionaire with anything they wanted, will say, Wallahi, we never had one good thing in our life. After one moment in the hellfire. And then the hadith continues and says, a person who experienced every trial. I want you to think about trials. Like our trials, yes. But I want you to think about real trials. Existential trials. Like some of you, your trial is a trial for you, but existentially, meaning what? Like life or death. This person will have gone through a lifetime of existential trials. And they'll be dipped into Jannah for one moment and taken out. And then they'll be asked by the angels, what was your life like? And the person will say, Wallahi, I have never experienced one difficulty in my life. Imagine the children, the siblings, the parents, the relatives walking streets of rubble in Gaza, losing limbs and lives, three months of not knowing, unsure about how long this will keep going. After living this life, their life is taken. They're dipped into Jannah for one second and they'll be asked and with no punishment, there's no consequence. Tell us about your life. What was it like? And that person could say, man, my life was really bad. This is amazing. But relative to what they were given, all the trials disappeared, erased from their memory. There's a story that's mentioned that the person will make dua to Allah in the times of difficulty. And they won't be given what they wanted. They'll make dua. Oh Allah, grant me this. Oh Allah, let me marry this person. That person gets married to somebody else. Oh Allah, give me this job. The posting goes down from the website. It's not yours. You didn't get it, right? You ask, 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 and it doesn't happen. And then the scholar writes that, on the Day of Judgment, the person will show up and they'll see all of these, imagine, they'll see all of these rewards. And they'll say, what is this? And they'll be told by the angels, these are all the du'as you made in your life that were not answered. And the person will say, I wish I never had a du'a answer in my life. I wish, I, I wish nothing was answered because then on here, when I need it most, I'll get everything that I, I needed 
We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us patience in a gentle way. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the courage and the intelligence and the wisdom of being patient. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to always think of the life of His Prophet Sallallahu whenever we're being tested. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the ability to turn to Him in dua and in salah when, we're, when we are being afflicted with trials. We ask Allah Ta'ala to expiate all of our sins as a result of the difficulties that we're going through. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to enter Jannah as a result of the trials that we've endured. We ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive those who have passed away. We ask Allah Ta'ala to uplift the oppression from our brothers and sisters worldwide. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to give victory to those who are oppressed. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to handle the oppressors with justice. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to open up Masjid Al-Aqsa for every Muslim and every believer and everyone who wants to visit. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to free it from the clutches of oppression and criminals. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to give aid to all of those who need it. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to give anyone in this room who is struggling, anyone in this room who needs assistance and aid, we ask Allah Ta'ala to grant them aid and assistance that can solve their problems without any recourse or any recoil back into difficulty. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Jazakum Allah khairan everybody. Barakallahu feekum. It's good to be back. It's good to see everybody here. Alhamdulillah.